What a special time. What a special time to be alive, Robert. This is, this is, uh, it's a these, special are, time. these are interesting times. We'll be in history books for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, hello. Welcome back. This is the Morning Brushback Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm your co-host. I'm here joined remotely by my sometimes friend, sometimes nemesis, Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how are you today? I'm, I'm feeling great, Dan. Thanks for having me. Bob's feeling triumphant because I just begrudgingly agreed to hit the cage match that he's always wanted since we had Jeff Fry and Richard, uh, Richard Skank on the show. Bob, this is my dream. Philemon. It's going to be the worst. So fill them in what, what, what we're talking about. We're, I mean, I don't know what we're going to talk about on that podcast other than hitting, but obviously Richard's got his following of how he thinks the swing should work. And Jeff has his uh, following on what he, what he okay. thinks you should be teaching kids and how you should like go about approaching. And on, and on hating the modern analytics and all that stuff. Yeah. So I think it'll be a good battle Royale. I picture it like the old MTV um, where like the clay figures fought each other. What was that show? Celebrity death match. I picture that happening. I think that would be, I think that would be a nice comparison, like the Jeff Fry, Richard Skank, Celebrity Deathmatch via Morning Brushback. Well, so for those of you, if it's not clear, we obviously had Jeff Fry on the show. We obviously had Richard Skank on the show. Richard's episode was our by far the most popular episode, over 5,000 views slash listens, which was, I mean, we average, uh, I mean, I don't care about talking about numbers here on the show. We typically average... Two to three hundred views on Twitter after like about you know a couple of days have gone by. That includes live and replay. About a hundred to two hundred views on YouTube, and then about the same on uh, on iTunes. So we do a, a decent job reaching people. But so if you say that it's an average of five hundred listens a show, Richard's got five thousand views just on Twitter alone. It was it was bananas. It just got tweeted everywhere because he's so controversial. Jeff's uh, I think was our third most popular episode. And Liam Bowen from UMBC, my alma mater, he was number two. He crushed it. He had about a, I think like 800 listens on Twitter. So over a thousand total. But I mean, that, that episode with Richard was just far and away our most popular one. I mean, like it was absurd. It, it screwed up our graph, our, our graph now of our analytics <laughs> yeah. in Periscope. It still has this huge spike. So it makes all of our other shows like a tiny little like dime sized wafer of a, of a bar graph. I'm really bitter about that. Actually, I like my analytics better better than that. So, so Bobby wants to have them back both back on to just basically quarrel, which I haven't used the word quarrel quarrel in a long time. It's a great word. Basically, just to quarrel on our show about baseball. I, I can't see anything positive coming from it. To be perfectly I honest, disagree. Well, I don't want to do it. I totally disagree with you. I think it'll. Here's the problem: is I think that they're both on the. If you put a spectrum of hitting on a graph, I think they're both a lot closer to each other than they are to the people that just read the exit velocity and the and the numbers, the hit tracks, and try and teach you hitting. Like I totally think, and I actually believe this, not just because I want them both on the show, but I believe they're very close in what they think hitters like should do and what they believe about hitting, but they don't like each other personally, it seems. So it should make for some good. It's like Dan and I. 
like we like we like we actually we, we actually like each other for those of you who don't know <laughs> our dynamic is is good because bobby's views are just like ridiculous and stupid a lot of the time oh. and mine are mine are always really good and smart but bobby we didn't know each other that long we played together for what a month on the yeah, Canada River sharks and then you were gone you had a hamstring injury i don't know if they released you or you just left whichever it was either way you, you're just you're just hurt uh and then bob lives in chicago i lived in bloomington illinois for the last nine years and bobby is one of those people when you visit his town he'll, he drops everything and says we're gonna go do this he'll take care of you he'll pay for all the drinks i always try to give you money you jerk no that's not never never, never lets me take it but uh and we actually had this conversation and we're getting sentimental here we had this conversation about i was telling you to stop being such a, a dick on twitter to everybody essentially i'm like bobby that's not good for your brand that's not who you are you're like one of the like the best people i know you take care Thanks, of man. you're super loyal to the people that you care about and you take great care of them i mean that's why we're friends i mean every time i came up and saw you and usually it was just like, I'm in Chicago. And you're like, Dan, you made a way bigger deal about like, we were acquaintances, I'd say. And you just like, always made a big, you make a big deal about everybody, which is again, why you're a good friend. Uh, and that's how our friendship maintained over all the years. Usually when you play with someone that you're not super close with, like, I think we liked each other, but we didn't really talk that much. You're a position player. I was a pitcher. Yeah, there was definitely just early like going, a, just like I mean, crossing paths. Yeah. But um but yeah so we're here so obviously you and i enjoy each other um despite having different views but those two genuinely hate each other so i don't see how that's going to be productive conversation uh well, I, think I mean gonna, i think it's just going to be cringy i think it's going to be like watching a wwe match where it actually turns like real violence like what, if, not, not what if they become like best friends there's zero chance that happens but what if they do? Like, you, I hold out the hope that I could be, that we could be like the, like, who's a peacemaker? I don't know. I think I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good peacemaker. I read a like, lot of books about resolving conflict a couple of years ago to do that exact thing in my academy with parents and coaches. I feel like you, however, you could be Gandhi. However, people have to want to listen. And Jeff is pretty set in his beliefs. Richard is very set in his beliefs as affirmed by the statement in our podcast where he said, essentially, no one's taught anything correct about hitting for a hundred years, <laughs> which I, I regret not catching in the moment and, and calling him on a little bit because that's certainly not true. That's just a, a ridiculous exaggeration. Um, well, he, we can argue about that. I mean, yeah, there's cl classic Bob. Well, is it or is it? Is it? Is it? <laughs> It's an absurd statement to say that no one's taught anything correct for a hundred years. It's just like, it's nonsensical. Right. He should have said 120 years. However many years baseball has been a thing. I mean, they were, they were hitting potatoes with a, with a, a barn plank and whatever. So <laughs> I assume that's how the game originated. But anyway, I guess this is going to happen at some point. So we're going to figure out how we can schedule it. It's probably going to be a special Thursday night. Also speaking, speaking of cage matches, um, Ty Blankmeyer, who was on our show, messaged me the other day said they want to have me and Eugene on a special little cage match. Oh, debate. please, please do that. And for those of you watching that don't know that conflict, Dan – oh, I didn't even give you a shout-out, Dan, I might, and I apologize for this. Dan we had, just we won. Had, we, had, we, had, we had guests, that's why. We had guests right well, after. Dan, so Dan won the Expert Summit uh, bracket debate, so eight – 
eight pitching quote unquote gurus. I don't know if you like that term or not. Eight pitching no, gurus discussing pitching, um, debate style format. So head to head. Dan won three matches in a row. Won won himself a title of expert summit debate king. I don't know what the title is, but I had a lot to lose. I, he had, I had a lot to lose. I was a philosophy major. If I didn't win this, what what am I? Like who am I? You failed. You failed yourself. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I encourage you to go watch him because it is an absolute uh, demolishing and undressing of the three people that he that he does debate against. There were some. I, I I give the other. There were two two guys you went up against that that made some solid points. I think they had. I think they had some knowledge. There was one that had no knowledge and. He comes from an academy in California that Dan has explicitly called out a few times on Twitter. See, if there's, if there's one thing that Dan has taken away from this podcast, it's a Twitter persona that he never had <laughs> that he currently is embracing as Twitter bully. Let me, let me, let, so let me address, since we haven't, we haven't officially talked about this. This was not this weekend, but the previous weekend. Um, so I was supposed to face... Eugene Bleeker, who's the founder of 108 Performance, this place in California. Uh, and he pulled out of the debate the night before he was supposed to. I was his second round matchup. I won my first uh, debate against Brent Porcio from Top Velocity, who's very good at what he does. Brent is very good at helping kids throw harder, improve their mechanics. He is. Uh, the questions, like, I don't know. I took my route with uh, the two strength training questions we had. He took his route. And then the third question was about uh, pitch calling, which is a lot more my domain. Brent, to his credit, stays in his lane. He never talks about pitching. He talks about mechanics, velocity, training, all that stuff, which I respect. I mean, we all, in every aspect of our lives, have our expertise and then things that are a little bit outside of it. And Brent's played the game, so I'm not saying he doesn't have pitching expertise, but he just chooses to be all about velocity and mechanics, and that's completely fine. Um, I'm much more on the strategy side on what I talk about. So when I got the strategy question, it was just like more of like what's up my sleeve. So anyway, that debate was good. That was like an evenly matched debate. Uh, but so anyway, so Bleeker was going to face some young guy in his first, uh, first round and then face me in the second round if he won. And he decided he didn't want to go against the young guy cause he didn't want to quote unquote embarrass him. And then, uh, pulled out like last minute and I was going to watch it. And so, I put a snippy comment in the group uh, comments for the whole the whole summit, like their comment chat box. I said, um, someone said, hey, where is Eugene? He's supposed to be in this because he was actually commenting during the debate. And I said, uh, some of us don't really belong in the ring or something like some, some of us don't really know how to compete. Uh, some, some of that effect. And then he messages me because apparently he had my phone number. And uh, the conversation became me telling him that he was uh, unprofessional for pulling out last minute, which really hurt, hurt the organizer in the event, which is objectively true. Uh, he was the biggest name in the, de- in the debate, and he knew it. Um, and then secondly, uh, you know, it got back and forth, and he said he would destroy me, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, that's not true, because it was about pitching preparation, how to enter the game as a reliever. And uh, another question about uh, what to do during the season if you're not getting all the innings you need. All those questions I've lived many, many times as a pro player and counts a lot of kids through. It's very experiential type questions. And his lane is mechanics and movement and stuff like that. So with the trash talking of he's going to destroy me and he subbed in his own pitching director from his academy, I decided uh, essentially to make it 
a massacre if I could. And it was. I won unanimously 12 to 0. It was an embarrassment. Um, because the, the guy I debated tried to drag it off topic like politicians do. It's like, hey, Bobby, what's your favorite color? Well, you know, uh, you know, the roads, they really need fixing. And, and, you know, the tax system. It's like, no, I asked you what your favorite color. Well, you know, it's all about the, the Republicans and the Democrats. It's just like, answer the question. And the, the question got dragged off into mechanics and movement when it literally had zero to do with that. And so uh, after that, there was drama because uh, Mr. Eugene didn't like the fact that not only did I win the debate in unanimous fashion, um, I was pretty abrupt. And you could say rude. I don't, I mean, rude, whatever. I thought it was, I thought it was great. It was a debate. And was here's the, here, was my, here was my strategy in this debate because this was not a regular seminar. And what was happening to everyone before I sort of like took us all out of that little box was... Bobby would say his thing about pitching and then I would say my thing about pitching and then Bobby would be like nodding his head and say good point good point and then he would say his thing and I would say it, was, it wasn't really a debate it was just like you all say your thing in alternating fashion and if you ever watch a real debate there's people call each other's credibility into question people say oh no that's not true oh you're, you're all about immigration reform well you didn't do this or this or this when you had the chance you know to help to help immigration back in the day right senator this is, this is a real thing trying to uncover what do people actually mean what they say? Do they actually know what they say? All this sort of stuff. And so my philosophy in this whole debate was I wanted to win the debate. I didn't want to just be like the friendliest fella who just says, hey, I'll say my thing. I'm like, oh, great, great point, Bobby. You're a smart pitching guy. If I thought your point was good, which a lot of good points are made, I was either going to not acknowledge it or I was going to minimize it in some way and say, well, you know, that could be true, but really this even though maybe I think it's true. Because again, my, my goal was not to lose the debate. My goal was to win the debate because it was a debate. And so with this kid, what happened uh, was he just didn't answer the question. And I told him, I'm like, you didn't answer the question at all. And he goes, well, well, well that's really unprofessional. I'm like, well, answer the question then. Pretty much just like that. It's definitely worth the watch. But, here's the, the, but watch. here's the thing. My mother, who's the sweetest woman, she calls me out on everything. And you know what she did after the debate? She said, you know, you, you like told him, but then you didn't push it. She said, I thought that was good. You did a good job. My mom didn't even think it was a big deal. So if Joanne doesn't think I did wrong, then I'm good. So well, she, anyhow. She is, the, she is the moral authority on your debating. No, she really is. My mom calls me out for, for everything. But so anyway, the debate was fun. The last one with Harold Mazingo, who you should follow on Twitter. Uh, his name is Harold Mazingo. Uh, really smart, super nice guy, knows a lot about pitching. It was a very even, I like, you know, it was a very even fun discussion at the end. And we had back and forth too. And what was fun was that we actually didn't agree on every topic. Um, and so we actually had some back and forth and there was actually like no Dan. And it was also like no Harold. It was a lot of that. It was very respectful, but it was still like an actual debate, which I thought was cool. So yeah. it was a good event. Yeah. We didn't really get to recap it cause we had guests all last week, but uh, it was a fun time. If you scroll down my Twitter, you can find all that stuff. It's there's still the replays are there. I'm probably going to be able to put some of it on my YouTube, um, talking with the organizers about it. And they're going to have a hitting debate too coming up, which was which should be fun. So, Bob, you should throw your hat hat into the ring, man. I would I would love to do that. Um, I hear a butt coming. Of, well, they I'm but I would imagine they probably have guys with bigger followings that they want to get on first to make it a. More yeah, draw. but yeah, but however, yeah, but there is no there is no bigger draw than the the bully. So, 
I think if they brought me on, it would be it would be entertaining to say the least. But I do know the organizer. Like I, we played. I think we both were teammates uh, with not the organizer, but the guy that that was behind the scenes. He was like with. helping with tech and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, Dan Hennigan. Shout out to Dan. Local Ooh, he, he'll, he'll, guy. he'll be on our he'll be on our show by the way yeah really good hitting guy really good uh he kind of he does a little bit of uh everything he blends moving and and hitting philosophy and he's got some good experience and he has some good research too with a lot with a professor um i don't know if it's at penn university or one of the local universities in philadelphia uh so he's got some really good hitting stuff he'd be a tough he'd be a, a tough guy to to debate with no doubt well, it also comes down to just how clear you are. And as I was listening to a lot of the different debates that I wasn't in, just like clarity is definitely a big thing. When you can explain it clearly, people understand it. Because the panel of, of judges for the debate, because uh, the organizers had no say in it, it was a panel of judges. It was like Aaron Fitt from Baseball America, Tyler Kepner, who's the New York, New York Times baseball writer, also an author. Uh, there's Jeremy Booth, who's a respected uh, guy in the showcase circuit, runs the Future Star Series. Um, the Indians bullpen bullpen coach, Brian, Sh- I think his name is Brian Shaw. Um, another Indians minor league pitching coach, two current minor leaguers. There was a wide range of, of talents and skills. And so they're all looking through it in a different lens. So if you talk really heavy on biomechanics or anything else, the like the more layman guys – uh, even though they're like baseball lifers, like some of the baseball writers, they're probably not really going to know what you're talking about. And it's not going to be compelling to them because they don't know the ins right. and outs of biomechanics. Like, why would they? They know baseball, but they don't know, you know, add, adduct your ubulus and to a 16.4 flexion angle. Like, they're not going to care about that. They just want to see if you, like, can articulate your thoughts. Well, and so it's know your was, audience too, right? Like, yeah, you know, if you're talking to lifetime baseball guys that – are out of the current tech world. I mean, they're not going to relate to your, to your specific movement terminology and, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the spin mm-hmm. rate, like they, they want to talk pitching. Like they have thoughts on pitching, not thoughts on biomechanics. Well, and the nice thing about the beta is the debate was that it was, it was all range of topics. It was not just mechanics. It was not just analysis. It was a smattering of all of it. I mean, again, one of my questions was as a reliever, how do you keep your mind right and how do you prepare to enter a game on a moment's notice when you don't know you're going to get the call? And that's a very important question to answer. It's a really hard question to answer. And that's one of those things where, well, I mean, look, like the whole, like, I, I'm not into this big, like, do you have experience or not experience? But there are certain things that you can only get from playing the game. And that's yeah. one of them. Being a reliever is really hard. And I was just on, I'm actually going to use some of this content in a, one of my other podcasts, I was on a call with one of my former coaches who's now a coach at a, at a community college in Maryland. And he was asking me, he's like, Hey, what, how can I help my relievers? He says, I have a lot of like two way guys, guys that have never been a reliever before. And how do I help them be as ready as they can mentally and physically? Some of these guys like currently need to warm up for a long time and they're not used to being, Hey, I need you hot in five minutes. I need you hot in three batters. Yeah. How do I, how do I help them along with that? And it's honestly a really hard question to answer if you've never done it yourself. Because otherwise you're just kind of guessing and there's no like playbook. Like where do you go to learn that stuff? Right. There's no, there's no book. I'm actually working on a third book that will address a lot of that stuff. Um, and my book does my current book pitching isn't complicated does address that, uh, as well. But I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. And there's a lot of just constraints that you have to understand that 
in theory, you could be like, oh, well, do these exercises, do these band exercises, do these things. But in theory, a lot of those get thrown out the window when it's like game 97 and you've pitched two days in a row and you're tired and you're trying to conserve every bit of energy in case you don't pitch tonight so you can actually get a day off, but you might not get the day off and you might have to pitch a third day in a row. And that's what's really, really hard about it. And I didn't appreciate it until I was in it as a player. And I had other players helping me through it. And you realize that you have to be ready to pitch in about four minutes. I mean, that's if they need you, that's three hitters. Uh, and, and a bat can last from 15 seconds to two minutes on average. So you could be in the game quick. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to that, to a ver- an awesome quote by Mike Tyson. He's like, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Right. Like it's easy to talk about it from the sidelines. Like, yeah, just go in, you know, do your band work, warm up, get your 15 to 18 pitches, like, you know, simulate two batters, whatever counts. And then, you know, grab some water. Coach will come out. He'll call you in the game. Like it doesn't really like, yeah, until you get punched in the face where it's okay. This kid just got lit up to back to back doubles and he's three Oh to the next guy. Like I need you ready now. I need you in the game the next hitter. And I mean, there's just, there is no preparation, like talking about it. You only, you have to live it a little bit. And once you live it, then you can kind of like, give that feedback. But even like as much as you're going to tell your, uh, that community college coach, like, Hey, this is what you got to tell your guys until they get in the situation and have to do it for themselves. They're really just mm-hmm. kind of shooting blind. I mean, all yeah. that, all that experience and that, that advice helps, but you know, it's, it's like any situation, unless you're, unless you're in it, you really don't know how you're like, how, how's your body going to react? Just can you yeah, get you, ready in three batters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You figure it out as you go for sure. But having just a baseline understanding, and I think the mindset's the biggest thing. The biggest thing about being a reliever is having the mindset that you're not afraid to number one, not get a consistent warm up. Like you have to really trust yourself that like, look, all right, coach call. I, I got to be in the game in three batters and I'm still kind of like, I'm not sharp in the bullpen yet. Like lots of times, like most of the time as a reliever, you don't get to the point where you're like sharp in the pen. You're furiously like once you get your body kind of warm, uh, you're furiously firing off pitches to try just to get your arm up to speed and they're not accurate. You're just trying to first thing is get to hundred percent. And then after that, all right, let's throw some curveballs and just like, let's make sure that it can break. <laughs> like, let's make right. sure it breaks. And then you throw some changeups. Let's make sure the changeup isn't just absolute trash, that I'm not bouncing at 46 feet. Then you've done all those things and that takes a batter and a half. And now you're like, okay, my arm's hot enough. If I had to go in the game right now, I potentially could. And then uh, you say, okay, what, what can I do now to be more like a pitcher? And so you start to then narrow the, fu- the funnel a little bit and say, all right, let's locate some fastballs and let's locate some curveballs. But you just don't have the time like a starter does to really say, okay, my inner third fastball, my one-two changeup, my get-me-over cha- curveball. Like you don't have time to do that stuff. And so you have to be really mentally comfortable going out there knowing that you're really not like sharp, but that when you get out there, that kick of adrenaline and the fact that you've done this your whole life will right. allow you to be okay. And lots of times, and this was one of the other things that people that you don't really realize is that the best relievers, they use the eight pitches on the mound to get them to warm. So if you said, say, say there's some way to know that it takes me 40 pitches to warm up after exactly 40. I'm great. You don't want to throw 40 in the bullpen. Not unless you're stupid. 
you want to throw 32 in the bullpen because you're going to get eight on the mound. So your 40th pitch is on the mound. It's your last one. And now the batter walks into the batter's box. And that's hard to do because, again, if you throw 32 and you know it takes you 40, then you're going out there only 80% warmed up. And you have to have the, the stones to be okay with that because you're only going to get eight. If you need two more, you don't get them. The batter's in there. And that's a right. scary thing. And that's what's challenging about being a reliever. And that's where those guys have that extra mental toughness where it's like, look, I'm going to be good. I don't care how little I got to warm up. I'm going to be good tonight. And that's, that's a unifying quality of, of good relievers. Yeah. And then just to add to it, you don't really get the benefit of a clean inning more than that. Probably how many times did yeah. you clean inning as a reliever, you know, where, you know, like the sixth innings over the mm-hmm. starters at his limit and you're, you've got the seventh Dan. I mean, usually the, the closer you has, you earn yeah, that. Yeah. Usually was, the closer is the only one that has the, has the well, luxury of knowing. And the setup guy. I was, so I was a setup guy one year and I knew, and that was nice. It really was nice. Right. But yeah. But you earn that from not being that, right? You only become the setup guy or the closer because you were the guy that would come out and come in and put out fires in the sixth and seventh. Right. So you, you, you earn the right to have your clean inning and to have your little more because, and, and that's the, the, the talk is that you try to get these guys into a rhythm. So like for me, when I was pitching the eighth, uh, that season where I was an all-star in 2015, you know, I knew that in the fourth, fifth, I was still just like mentally just relaxed. I'm not checked in yet. Get my coffee in the fifth inning, start, you know, stretching again, start wiggling my body around the sixth. I'm starting to really say, okay, is there a chance I'm going to get in this game? Is it four to two in the sixth? Pretty good chance. Is it nine to one? Kind of getting mentally relaxed because you can't be like, you know, on the whole time. Right. And then you start, once you say, okay, there's a good chance I'm going to pitch in this game. Then you start to like mentally get it locked in again, start to really look at the hitters a little more, start to chatter with your teammates about what's gone on in the game. And you start to slowly get into your warm up and start to ramp up. So it doesn't, you don't go from zero to a hundred. You go from 70 to a hundred because you knew, all right, it seems likely I'm going to get in this game. Now the seventh is here. Yep. Pretty sure I'm going to be in there in the eighth. Okay. Bottom of the seventh. Okay. I'm warming up. Like let's go. So that's, you can, you can build up to being ready rather than, you know, if, if when coaches don't let their relievers know what their role is, suddenly it's like Dan's just sitting there. Hey, we need Dan hot as soon as we can. And you just throw your jack off and that just, that sucks. So the more you can give your relievers with good communication, a really good understanding what their role is. So, Hey, Johnny, if the starter has runs into trouble today, you're a long guy. So you need to watch if he starts really getting rocky early, you're going to be the guy we go to for two, three, four innings, you know, and Jim, you know, if he, he's probably going to go 80 pitches. So as he starts getting close to 80, you're probably going to be the guy to bridge the fifth to the seventh. And then Timmy, you're going to pitch the seventh. If we're ahead, if it's, Hey, it's a blowout, then it's probably going to be, it's going to be Jim Bob, like whatever, you know? So the more Jim you can Bob. really, you can really communicate so the kids can watch the game and say, okay, is my situation coming up? That's how they can mentally, that's, that's the best way you go from mentally out to mentally in, do your job and then get mentally out again. But I mean, the only the only comparison as a position player is uh, pinch hitting is not really a comparison because you you pretty much have a sense of when you're going to pinch hit. It's going to be late in the game or you're going to pinch run. Like they're not going to they're not going to burn bench guys. But mm-hmm. so a good a good example is when you hit double A with a National League team. Uh, so I was with the Braves for for Ooh, a half I like season. where you're going with this. Good example. All right, keep you going. hit double A with a double A and triple A with National League teams. The pitchers hit. So double switches and, and baseball strategy, like big league baseball strategy comes into play. So you're in, if you're an A ball with the, with a national team, the Cubs, the Braves, 
they have a DH, you know, the pitchers don't hit, but you get to double A, you're starting pitchers in the lineup. So, you know, depending on how well he's doing and you might as a bench guy go in in the third inning, if they pull him and depending on where they're at in the lineup, you always want to double switch to put that pitcher back at the end of the lineup. So there's a lot of strategy going on. And as a, as a utility guy myself, like playing all the positions on the field, you know, it was a, it was a curse and a blessing, right? Like, like you're always the guy that that's needs to be hot, you know, run and coach. What I would do a lot of times is coach first base just because I get to take that jog and kind of stay in the game a little mm-hmm. bit. But that's a really difficult situation for those bench guys. Like every team's got that guy that's usually like the de facto double switch guy. Like he's going in whatever position when the pitcher comes out. It's hard to stay ready. I mean, it's hard to stay ready because how you said, like you can't be on all the time as a, as a guy who's not starting in the game. Like even guys when you're a starter, you know, when I'm starting a game, if I'm not up the next inning, like I could take a mental break a little bit. I'm still in the game, but the guy that has the double switch stuff, like your arms got to be ready. Your legs have to be ready to at, at a moment's notice, go pinch run or, you know, go into second base arm ready is a lot different than right field arm ready. So it's a, it's a tough thing when you're, when you're a bench guy or a bullpen guy and you're like one pitch away from being in the game for the whole three hours and 15 minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a totally different mindset and preparation. Yeah. And, and a lot of what holds players back of all ages is the idea that they've lost their routine. So I'll give you an example. This was one of my favorite. It was one of the favorite days of my entire career. I won't go into the whole, the whole story, just this brief one, but we were tied in the, or we were down two to one on the road in long Island and their closer was in the game and got two quick outs and they called down. They said, Hey, blue, it's in the game. If we tie it, uh, cause you know, when you're the setup guy on the road, you pitch the tie, you pitch the tie ball game in the ninth and maybe the 10th, hoping that you go ahead. So then your closer will close out the game. If you, you know, you squeak out, um, a run. And so we're down two to one, the closer just mows through the first two batters and then he gets our next batter. Oh, two. So I'm just sitting down there and the, over the left field wall, just like sitting there. I'm like, well, game's over. And then our batter fights off like nine pitches, draws it to three, two, and then hits a bomb to center, a <laughs> bomb, and ties the game up. And so now there's two outs, and I'm in the game. <laughs> and I went, oh. And I just furiously fired off bullets as fast as I could. And, of course, adrenaline is nice because it helps you. It's like the sliding scale. When you're unprepared, the adrenaline's higher because you're like, oh, crap. And uh, I was jogging into the game like – one batter later because we didn't get another hit. I don't think so. Um, and in situations like that, you get out of the mound and there's, I think two types of people. And of course this isn't like who you are from birth, but you learn to be hopefully the second type of person, which is you just forget that you didn't get to warm up very well. You just don't right. care. You just don't, you just don't care. And that's not a, in your mind at all. When you get off the mound, it's just like, all right, I'm on the mound business as usual. Like it doesn't matter where there's a lot of players and I'm sure, Bob, you've seen so many of these over the years where they're like, oh, you know, my arm just doesn't feel as good. And they're just like mentally making excuses from the moment they, they, they cross the white line. And uh, if they don't get their full warm up or they don't feel the way they should, they're just mentally already eroding their own confidence saying, oh, I didn't get my routine. Like, I don't know if I, I they can't pitch without the routine. Right. And the best players realize that the routine keeps them grounded 
but they can throw that thing off like a, like a jacket that they just don't need it because they're just going to go compete. And that's, that's really tough. And that's something players, they need more of that. And it's hard to foster that except from like a hard nosed coach who kind of keeps you accountable to it and having players who let you know what the standard is. Cause in, in pro ball, no one gives a shit if you didn't get to warm up. If you're in the game, right. you got to go get outs. No one cares. Not one person. Like, there's no one for me to cry to cry to if I go out there and get shelled because I didn't get warmed up. My own damn fault, right? And that's the mindset, and everyone knows it. So you just like, it just never even enters your mind. There is no excuse to make. So you just go out there and like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, especially in indie ball where it's the the manager is also like the player personnel guy. So what are you going to complain to him that you didn't get your warm up pitches and he'll just yeah. release you? Yeah, no one cares. Like affiliated ball is much more controlled. Like they'll usually try and give your relievers a clean inning and you try and put your guys in situations. Like if you're a designated closer, like you will get to basically only close. You'll never, you know, waver from that because they're trying to groom you for a role potentially in the big leagues. Whereas indie ball is just win. We need to win games. It's the wild west, yeah. the wild west. Yeah, yeah, it's the best. So that's why it's a great brand of baseball. Cause you're, it's all about, it's all about winning. Like that's, you're there to win. And if you can help a team win, you can have a spot in, on the roster for as long as, as you can perform. Well, and like our, our mutual friend, Daniel Herrera, who was the last guy to throw a, a, like a real screwball in the big leagues for the Reds back in like 2004, I think he made his major league debut, not in the normal fashion, which is like, you know, get him, get him an inning in the eighth when it's a 12 to two game, you yeah. know, like break him in, which makes a lot of sense. Like psychologically, I can't imagine how hard it is to make your big league debut. Like our, um, I don't know. Did you know Steve Garrison? I he was not. the next year, but also a friend of mine, he pitched, he had one appearance in the big leagues for the Yankees. And he said when he got his name called, which it was that situation, it was like eight to one, the ninth or something. He pitched like the last, you get to get the last out or something. Um, but when they called his name, he like, didn't even, he doesn't, like, doesn't even remember it. He was hot in like five pitches. He's like, just let us know when you're ready. He's like, I'm ready. Like through five balls. Cause the adrenaline was just so intense. But anyway, so Herrera, D-Ray, he, his big league debut was bases loaded, no one out. They just threw That's, him in there. Like, here you go. Good luck, kid. Young buck. Any, any guy out of it, no runs. And that, like, made him. I mean, they're like, dang, son, you're good. They get some street cred for, for doing that. Big league yeah. debut, right off the day, right off the pine. Figure it out, kid. Help yeah. us out. But, you know, and I can't remember. I mean, he's told the story, I think, on my other podcast. But, you know, he just went out there and was like, look, it's, it's still pitching. I've been in this situation before. Yes, yeah, the majors. But he just, like, locked in, refocused, and was just like, let's do this. Like, here, here we are. It's you awesome. know, and, and that's, it is awesome because that's got to be terrifying. It's like a no-win situation, except it's also, kind of, it's also kind of a no-lose situation because no one expects you to get out of that, right? So no, it's kind of, it's, he definitely if, won. If I you mean, reframe sure. it, yeah. If you reframe it like that, like, hey, this is like an impossible situation. So, like, if I get out of this, I'm a made man, you know. So I'm sure he know. earned some some other high leverage situations just based on that. Well, and he said one of the I can't, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was like Darren Oliver, but someone in the big leagues really took him under his wing, or a couple guys did. And I think that's like pretty normal with rookies, but I'm sure it really helped there. Where like man, this kid's got some, got some stones. And then the, yeah. the, the, the veteran guys were like, yeah, like we're going to show, like, we're going to show you the ropes and like come along show with you us. The way. Yeah. He had some great mentors in his time there. And I'm sure that was a big part of it. Cause they're like, this kid's got no fear. He could make it like, let's, let's help him along. So that was cool. 
Um, so Bob, you've been coaching amateur baseball again. We're back. We're <laughs> and, back. And off air, you had some thoughts. I have some, I've got a lot of thoughts just watching this first week, uh, first two weeks. We've been through two weeks, uh, two weekends of travel before you, ball. Before you get to thoughts, did you have any feels? I had all the feels. Was it so nice to be out playing sports matches again? It was, the weather was great. It felt like we played at a Joliet Slammer Stadium, so pro stadium. So it felt like baseball. Like it, it, it definitely felt like summer, which I don't think it's felt normal since all this stuff started happening in March. Um, it was nice. I think everyone enjoyed it. We didn't have great results um, for a few of the teams, but at that point, it was nice to just get outside. Um, but I do have some thoughts. Okay. Um, now, now the thoughts. Tournament company thoughts. I won't name names, but Thank so you. if you listened to our podcast previously, ranting about tournament companies, the tournament model is totally broken. Okay. It's the, the worst. It's the worst. It's the, the worst. Yes. And and I understand, and Dan and and everybody else that does it, that does youth baseball, like it's a business. You know, nobody's out there to lose money. So in this scenario, not the tournament we played in. The tournament we played in. And I will name drop Jay Darnell, great guy, does a fantastic job running a tournament, very fair, very communicative, uh, communicative towards all the parents, coaches. Like, he did a great job these past two weekends. We've got a tournament coming up where, you know, you pay your money, your thousand bucks to be in a tournament. They tell you you're going to get four games. They advertise a, a, a primary field, usually like a college or a pro field that you're going to play on, which you never play on. Um, and you get four games. So said tournament company sends an email blast out saying, look, we're having trouble getting fields. We're going to drop it down to three games guarantee. Okay. Like I understand it's want to give everybody a plan. And we're also going to charge you another $500 to play these games. What? What? Well, yeah. Oh yeah. That's, this is, and, and if you want a refund, you're only going to get 70% of your money back. What? Let's, I'm sorry. It, where, what is happening here? Where's that money going? Administrative costs? Like, okay, you know, you have your credit card processing fees. Like, you've got people working in the office. Usually, everybody, 10%. 10, 15% of your, so if you, 150, 100, $150 for a $1,000 tournament. No, $300. And it's because we can't find the fields, so we're going to charge you more and take away games. And if you don't want to play tough, like, that's your fault. So I got into a war of words, naturally, via email. Um, but I'm just determined to blow up that tournament model now, even more so than I already was, because the way recruiting is gone and the way it's going to be going, I mean, video is king sending video to colleges and I did a Facebook live for my organization about recruiting and you know, the new wave of recruiting, I guess what kids have to start doing. But I mean, just, just the arrogance of some of these tournament companies of, and it's not all don't by any means. I mean, I can rattle off the really good ones and the great people that do it, but some of the arrogance of some of the guys that uh, I'm currently dealing with is just beyond. I mean, the it's, it's stealing money at this point. Kid, you know, I, you can't go back and ask parents to pay more money if you're in my situation, and nor would I ever want to do that, and I won't do that. 
um, you know, we'll, we'll stay in those tournaments. We'll play begrudgingly because it's the only thing going right now, but it's just, I mean, the, it's just absolutely like, it's absurd. I, without, without swearing and, and getting vulgar, like it's absurd to yeah, it's some of these tournament companies, you know, we're trying to play baseball. Everybody's being flexible and now it's, well, we're going to squeeze more money out of you because we added, you know, quote unquote professional baseball fields. Well, that's, that's your choice. Like you're choosing to add more expensive venues that weren't advertised. And now it's, well, you pay more, don't even play. Like your kids can, you know, F off, which is ridiculous. Yeah. That seems prime for a lawsuit. Like there, unfortunately there, there's such smaller amounts of money that you would have to be some, they're going to run into some deep pocketed person who's going to be yeah. like, I don't care how much this costs me in lawyers fees. Screw you guys. I'm taking you to court because this is ridiculous. So hopefully they run into that person because that's just like such a, that's a ridiculous business practice. Like there's no way you should be allowed to do that. It's a prominent company too. I mean, they're, so let me backtrack the really good job. Primetime tournaments, Jay Darnell, unbelievable job. Really good at what he does. Very communicative, very fair. Um, Tim Brownlee at diamond sports. I've always had really positive interactions. He's giving me, me, as, me as well. Mm-hmm. He's giving full refunds on his tournaments um, his tournaments are always four game guarantees. So you're guaranteed four, four games, whether you're in win or lose, he's dropping it down to three based on field availability. And he's refunding 25% of the money, which is unheard of. Like that is beyond, like I would never expect money back based on that situation from him. He's refunding. Um, the guys in Indianapolis at, uh, bullpen tournaments, they've been really good throughout this whole thing. As far as credits, refunds, being very communicative and Indiana is an open, open state. So they're dealing with, you know, people coming a lot of grand park is humongous, 200 acres of baseball, softball, yeah. soccer fields. And they've been very understanding. Um, I've talked to the guys twice and I, and I let them know like, look, we're in Illinois. It's too soon for us to come there. We haven't been outside and they've been totally understanding credits. Um, I had to pull a team out. They, they were, you know, they worked with me like, we didn't just lose that, that tournament fee. Cause it's those tournaments are more expensive um, by nature, just because you get more games and nicer fields. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, three tournament companies right off the top of my head that are, do an awesome job. And you've got one that's really prominent. That's just, you know, screw you guys. And it's not no communication, no, you know, no, no sense of like of feel about the situation. Like, Hey, people, money's tight, you know, we're trying to play baseball. Everyone's trying to do the right thing. And we're just not going to do that because we don't need to. Well, it's not surprising. I mean, there's so many companies in the, in the U S and they're just not all ethical and they're not all good with customer service. I mean, everyone knows that. So I think at the end of the day, uh, cause you're right, Tim Brownlee, uh, for diamond sports promotions in, in Illinois, he was always like super nice to me. Like people complain, no matter what the circumstances. And there were definitely some situations where I was like, eh, this is a pretty subpar experience. But when I called him and talked to him, he was always very receptive and like solved problems. So that doesn't surprise me that he's done that. And I think that is the move because at the end of the day, customer service matters and people are definitely going to give that company you're talking about the middle finger next year. No doubt. I won't like, you're not, like, you're not, you're, you're not going to recover. You're not going to recover for that, especially when people are thinking. And I really hope you out there, if you're a coach listening, get rid of the tournaments as much as you can network with people, book local fields, book local teams, 
call the local colleges, tell them where you're playing and when you're playing. It makes so much more sense. It's, it's the thing that we need to get back to. Yeah. And if you do keep a couple of tournaments, keep the couple that are from companies that like took care of you during this time. I think that's what the, the smart move is. Cause if you're, if you're going to try to stay in business, screwing people over, you're going to go out of business on the, the back end later. I'm, I'm sure. Or I hope, um, it's just, it's just never the right way to do it, which is not, again, not surprising for some of them. Yeah. I would, I mean, those guys that Tim and Jay, um, that do a great job. I like, we will, whether we change the whole format and I do all my own tournaments next year, I will always send teams to those tournaments and always make sure like to support those guys. Cause they're just like, when you, when you treat people well, you get it, you get a comeback tenfold. And I push their tournaments to everybody um, in the area as well. The, the local like dad run teams I said, look, these are the guys you need to go play with, play tournaments with. Cause they're, they're going to make sure you have a, at least a, a decent experience. Yeah. But as we've mentioned before, I just hope the model breaks. It just doesn't make sense. It, it's not, you're not getting college exposure from it. That's a, that's just a, a lie. Essentially. If you're 17, you age and it's a very competitive tournament, there will be college coaches there. Other than that, there just won't, there just won't unless they've specifically chosen to come see your team or your player, which has nothing to do with the tournament company in general. Oh. Well, it's, usually so it, it's just a, it's a farce. There were, there were a good amount of coaches there this weekend, um, but that was also this the only game in town. So the local Illinois coaches I can drive to Joliet, they came out. Uh, my former head coach texted me, came out, watching games. Not Division I uh, anymore, but still it's it, – you're still, you know, shooting blind when you show up to a game hoping to see somebody – like you're really only looking at pitchers at that point. You're just looking mm -hmm. at arms, and then hopefully somebody sticks out Maybe they get a, maybe they get a look or two, but you really have to do your own recruiting at this point. Send out your emails, you know, be proactive. College coaches have way more players to choose from than ever before. They have way less spots now than ever before. So you really have to be proactive and find a good fit. Um, and hopefully those guys come and watch you. Yeah. I mean, it's a crapshoot to hope there's a scout that's going to watch you. It's, just, it's yeah. a ridiculous strategy when you think about it. It's just like, it's so silly. I mean, well, and then your focus, your focus is not on the, on the right thing. Like if I'm a shortstop, like I might never get a ball and I might get walked three times and that uh -huh, doesn't mean I'm not uh -huh. a good player, but you know, then I watch kids and this is, we're going to talk about coaching a little bit. I watch kids in, you know, mid inning taking their ground balls and it's like lob the ball to first base and don't show off your footwork. Uh, you know, don't work on a backhand one at you. And then one to your left, you know, mid pre inning, um, and that's when, you know, catchers pop times, like you're, you might not get somebody to steal in the game. Like yeah. that throw down the second is important. Show it off. Show it off. Yeah. If somebody's there to watch, like you need to like look like you're in the game. It's, it's not an easy thing to, to stay kind of how we were talking about before, just mentally on for the whole game. But that, those are the situations where someone might actually watch you. Or if you're taking a pregame uh, IO, like that's, that's essentially your, your, workout your tryout for that coach yeah well i'll give you a good example of when coach dan got a compliment from an umpire uh it was one of our last games of my academy's existence and uh one of our infielders who'd made a couple throwing errors who was like a little bit mentally jostled by his throwing errors like he was having trouble he was getting his ground balls like i was walking across the field like as they were warming up to go back to the dugout and he was just like 
lobbing it over them. I'm like, bro, this is your time to make the throws that are making you nervous. Like, don't lob them over there. Right. Field it, move your feet, throw the throw the thing. And like move to your right, make a tough throw from weird arm angle. Do your infielder things. Throw the way you're supposed to throw in a game. This is your time. You get five of these or four or five of these throws every half inning for every game. That's like a thousand per summer. That's a thousand to get better on. And I just like reminded him to do it that way. And the umpire goes, man, I'm impressed. I I haven't heard anyone say that all year to to a kid. I'm like, yeah, I wish more kids were being told that too. It's just like you got to pick your battles and those are like little – not pick your battles is the wrong thing to say, but you just need to take advantage of every chance you can to get better. Yeah. And that's a lot of – those those aggregate. 50 games in the summer, you know, four throws. Is it – how many any, How many do you get typically, Bobby? Two, four. To, two to three usually. Okay. So call let's say – let's call it three. That's 20 a game times seven innings times 50 games. It's 1,000 throws. It's not, right. a small, it's not a small amount. If you're running to your right and throwing like Derek Jeter – you make those tough throws in practice, you make them that inning. Makes you feel good. Gets your confidence up, right? So it just yeah, it's just a it's an extra way to show off what you have if somebody's watching. Like if you're at one of these big tournaments, you go to Indianapolis, you go to Georgia, um, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where there's eight fields and there's coaches that know they can see a lot of players. Like you might catch somebody's eye. You mm-hmm. you might catch the other coach's eye, and he might be a guy that is a works at a college or is an assistant coach at a, at a prominent school. I mean, that's, it's not unheard of to have, you know, volunteer assistants or, or like uh, lower level coaches. You know, I don't, don't take lower level diminishingly. I'm just like D one coaches usually aren't allowed to coach travel baseball. Um, so you have a D two coach that'll, you know, take a summer team and he'll help out. And he, he does it partially to recruit, Partially because he like you know to get paid and stay in baseball, but you can't. You, there's always somebody. I mean, if somebody impresses me on the other team, I'll call my coaching friends and be like, "This kid was throwing, you know, 87, 88. He's a sophomore. I don't know where he's from, but here's the roster. Like, look him up. I mean, it's it happens every every yeah. game. Every Everyone game. Yeah. If you genuinely care, you'll call about the other other team's players for yeah. sure. We've we've all done it. Yeah. Because like, why wouldn't you? You just like help your buddy, especially when you make these connections with college coaches. Absolutely. Like you, like you have a buddy who coaches a local D2 and your friends and you see a dude with a premium arm or glove or bat. Yeah. You text, you just text him real quick. Hey, have you been, have you been to this, seen this team play? They're in the area. This, this kid's good. Have you seen him? If, if the answer is no, then they're really thankful. I mean, you're just helping out your friends essentially. So anytime you have relationships and like you said, it just always matters. And that little stuff between innings that, show, that shows a lot about your character and the way you've been coached if you do that. Right. So if you, if you see a shortstop who's really taking his between-inning ground balls seriously and taking them as if he's trying to get better, that really says a lot about like what that kid's going to be like at your college program if he's doing that as an immature high school kid. you know, Immature Absolutely. high school kids doing mature things is a really good sign. It's a super good sign. So even if you just fake it, even if you just fake it and you're just the worst <laughs> – it's a great, it's a great thing to fake. It's great, great to fake. I've seen kids that go, go to Division One schools that have no business being Division One players, but anytime you watch them, it's like you notice this kid. Like he does everything correct. He does everything right. His energy's high. His yeah. talent isn't Division One worthy, but he's the like I want him on the team. 
I mean, I can think my, uh, my alma mater, no, at NIU, they have a kid on the roster right now. I won't name him, but I, at no point did I ever think you'd go to division one school. Johnny Stinkerton. Look yeah, him up. I mean, left field, great kid, great no kid. pop, no <laughs> wheels, no glove. Really? He really doesn't, he doesn't check any division one boxes other than maybe speed. But when you go to a showcase, it's like, he's got the most energy. Like everything he does is with a sense of urgency and you're trying to weed out the kids who don't do that stuff before you even start recruiting. So if he checks those boxes, effort, you know, enthusiasm, knowledge, he's, you jump to the front of the line and then maybe a coach likes you and you end up at NIU on a division one team and whatever. Well, it, and it just always goes back to the fact that if you if you really watch the College World Series closely, I know we didn't have one this year, but right. there's always kids on the roster who you're like, wait, you're pitching the College World Series and you throw 86? How is that possible? There's like kids like that on every team. You know, like Vanderbilt has a kid like that or two who hits 250, who right. still gets some at-bats, you know, who's on Vanderbilt's team. I mean, you know, you, there's there's guys that don't throw hard. There's not as many of them, but they, they exist at literally every level in college sports, and they're there for yeah. a reason. They're there for a reason because they're competitors, and they make the team better with their intangibles and, and lots of different stuff. And they just got a chance because of those intangibles and their competitive ways and all of it. I mean, the Michael Roth from University of South Carolina was one of the, the biggest ones. Dude threw like 84, 85 from the left side and just had like poo-poo stuff but he just could pitch his face off and was a great competitor. He was like the Jamie Moyer of college baseball. One like, didn't he win two? I don't know if he won two college world series with the game Cox, but he at least was in the college world series twice. Cause I remember watching him pitch. I'm like, you, you, you're starting <laughs> this game. And uh, you're like, how did you get your way onto this roster? And then how did you get your way into the line, into the, into the rotation? And then you're here on TV winning in front of 50,000 people. No like doubt. those those people, they do exist. They're more rare, but they they do continue to exist. No so doubt. so if you think you can't be that person on a Division three school or Division two school, you certainly can. I mean, you're not going to be able to fake it. So you probably already know who you are if you're that really high energy, grindy, gritty kid. But you know, make making that a uh, you know a point of pride and something that you're actively trying to focus on is, is important. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it, the, just the effort and the want to be out there is, is almost half the battle with, with, uh, I don't want to sound like old and saying this generation of players, but it's hard to get kids that like I saw it this past weekend. We had, we played our first games for some of these teams and game one, second inning, it was like dead in the dugout, no energy, you guys have been locked in the house for three months. How are you not ecstatic to just be outside? It was like 85 degrees out. We're in a pro stadium. Like we're playing baseball and it was the only one with energy was, was like myself. And that's like, it shouldn't be like that. So it's like the new wave of players to stick out is, is your body language and your attitude. And, you know, once you do that, hopefully your talent will take you wherever you want to go. But just separating yourself attitude wise is huge. I notice it with other teams. I notice it with guys on our team. Like it sticks out. It's the first thing you notice. Yeah. So Robert, let's uh, talk about major league baseball. Oh God. 
Does anyone even care at this? I know people are excited. I don't. Kind of. I, don't I like. Don't. I like. Don't care. Like, who wants to go see a sixty-game season? Like, what are we even gonna? Like, what are we gonna do? Everyone's in the playoffs. I just don't get it. I just don't get how we care at this point. No, I mean selfishly, uh, as a you know White Sox fan growing up, I feel like it may give the White Sox a shot. I mean, you you're in Baltimore, DC area. I mean, the Orioles and Nats should have. I'm not in the Baltimore, DC area. I'm in DC, Baltimore. I'll be damned if I go to a Baltimore Orioles game. Aren't you wearing an O's hat right now? No, I'm actually wearing a Washington hat. I wish I had my O's hat. I don't like the I don't like the Washington logo at all. It reminds me of like Walt Disney World. I really dislike it. I really wish they called themselves the Senators back in the day. I was like prepared to be yeah. a fan if they called themselves the Senators. That's what we called our academy teams. We were the Warbird Senators. Right. I, I I love that name. Of course, being a senator today means you're just corrupt and awful. But right. um anyway, the uh I don't like the Washington Nationals logo, but I need a new black hat because that's like my thing. And but the Woody the Woodpecker Orioles logo is the best logo that's ever been in all the sports. The Orioles do have the best baseball it's logo. A, it's a great – it's such a great it's logo. really good. So I need, I need to get a new Orioles hat. However, I don't really care to buy one at this moment. And aside from really loving Camden Yards, which is a beautiful ballpark if you've never been, uh, which everyone should try to go to because it like set the standard for new ballparks. Aside from the ballpark itself, I have zero desire to see the Orioles play. Haven't wanted right. to watch them play in 20 years. Like they're just – a boring, just a bad fan experience. The Nationals, on the other hand, are a wonderful experience. Super high-energy ballpark. I went to two games last uh, fall just because I was living here. And uh, I was like, this is fun. They're doing the baby shark thing. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, don't, I, didn't, I have no idea what that means. I, I don't know the context. And it was still just like everything in the ballpark was fun. They did a good job. The presence race is the best thing in baseball currently. Yeah. Um. I guess like Teddy Roosevelt won for the first time like a couple years ago and like the whole city like went nuts because they finally let him win because he always <laughs> loses. Um, they just do and it's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful ballpark. It's very It's open. really big, right? It's a, it's a it's, it's big. Wise. Yeah, but it's, it feels smaller, like a place small, kind of like Citizens Bank. Have you been to Citizens Bank, the Phillies ballpark? I have, I have not. Feels very, very small, Citizens Bank does. A lot like, have you been to Fenway? I've been to Fenway. You know, Fenway feels really, really just like you're in someone's backyard. Yeah, like, like someone's on, they're on top of you. Citizens Bank feels the same way. It's very small, even though it's not really as, I guess capacity-wise, Citizens Bank's not that huge, but it feels really, really tight. Nationals Park feels a little bigger than that, but it's still really, it's just a, it's a, it's a really nice ballpark, really good experience. So it's pretty easy to get to with the Metro. The Metro system in DC is great. So, uh, so like, I mean, go Nationals as far as, like, the experience. Like, I think it's phenomenal. Like, I'd be happy to go to a game. Because just be like, you just know, like, no, it'd be a fun night. It's, like, a beautiful area. I mean, you can't go wrong. But I feel none of those feelings towards uh, Orioles games. No. But it but. might give – I mean, the 60-game season might give the Orioles fans hope. Like, if you start out hot – I remember the yeah, White Sox anyone can get hot. hope. anyone can have hope. Because the old saying is that everyone's going to win 60, lose 60. Like, we know that, right? You never go worse than 60 and 100. And you never right. really get much better than 160. I think mean, some teams – very little. But essentially, that's the old adage, right? So, what are they going to do in 60 games? Everyone's going to go – everyone's going to win 20, lose 20. So oh, yeah. It's going to be a sprint, no doubt. And – I mean, the White Sox, I forget what year it was a handful of years ago where they started out like 26 and 8 or 26 and 9, and they were just cruising. And then they, they ended up in fourth place because obviously the season will you'll shake you out. But 
I mean, if you start out 26 and nine this year, I mean, you, you're almost, you'd have to try to not make the playoffs. I mean, that's, it's going to give a lot of teams hope and you know, it's going to be, I think it'll keep fans interested once it starts. I'm just, I have no interest in it right now. There's no baseball. Like they're talking about a July 29th start. I think it is like we're wasting all of July, the best weather. Like it what makes no sense. This makes no sense. I mean, it makes sense. They can't, they can't start right away. I mean, we're, I know, but it's, I mean, just the lead up, like they should have been in spring training already. They should have been like July 4th should have been the kickoff date. It makes, that makes perfect sense. July 4th, always baseball 4th of July. It's like the national pastime. Let's kick it off. But no, we're just going to screw everybody. Well, it wasn't about that. Obviously it was about coronavirus. So it's not like they're just going to be like, Oh, the virus says July 4th is okay. Cause it's, it's like, it's an arbitrary date. So yeah, I don't really yeah, agree with that. It's, it's, it should have been half. I mean, we're playing youth baseball right now in, in, in not even empty stadiums. I mean, which, which, I, which I think is fine because those snot nosed kids are running around the dusty field. I mean, there's not that many people at the ballpark. Like, and you <laughs> can, parents, can, parents can sit wherever they want. They can take their little lawn chairs farther away from everyone. I think it's totally fine. But aren't they, are they, is this new proposal starting for MLB with fans? I don't know. Cause we, I don't think we always think talk about this stuff and we yeah, do no we research whatsoever. We never know. But no. if it's not fans, there's no reason they could have, they couldn't have started, you know, July 4th and had 85 games or 90 games. Well, the problem is, I mean, you saw the report that a couple of Phillies, uh, I don't know if it was minor leaguers, but guys at the Phillies complex got coronavirus. I saw that. And that's going to, I mean, that's going to throw a huge wrench in this. If one dude gets it and now it starts to spread around, I mean, your starting well, pitcher's got coronavirus, misses, <laughs> misses two weeks. That's the season. That's the season. Smell yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it could still get really ugly. And if they're going to play in their home ballparks, like Florida's a mess right now, like their coronavirus cases are skyrocketing. Like, what are they going to do? You oh. know, like, I mean, it's, it's going to get, it's, it, we're, we're in for, a continued bumpy ride. It's just like not going to be smooth. It's it's not going to be normal. It's going to be so strange when four starting infielders all have coronavirus on some right. team. Like that stuff's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be fascinating, but I'm not going to care about like I don't think people can really care no. about wins and losses this year. All we need to do, this is what needs to happen this year. The Astros need to wear a bean ball every single one of them every game. So they get every player gets 60 hit by pitches. And they need to continue. Right. We need we need to not forget how much shame they deserve for being just shameful, embarrassing, just travesties to this game. That whole team. Uh, what else? We that's about it. If that, if that happens, I'm going to make it a point to go to the Astros game if they come to the Nationals. And I might embarrass myself booing them just as loud as I can, just as loud as possible. He's because the only one in the stadium. Oh, I won't be the only one. I might make it like a meetup. So if you shoot me a message on Twitter, if you want to do a hate the Astros because they're embarrassing, shameful human beings meetup, and we'll all go to the game and we'll heckle them just relentlessly. <laughs> all about it. Bobby, fly, fly, fly on in. We'll record it. We'll do a live podcast in the stands. Oh, that'd be great. We'll get a few that, of those guys possible? on. We'll get them on just to... Is that hey, possible? Can we do a live podcast while heckling during the game? It'd have to be on our phones, but I'm down for it. It's probably the same audio quality in the stadium that I normally have anyways. Oof. Oof. That seems like a good time. We'd probably not be allowed to do that, but I don't know. 
there's no rules in this. I mean, we couldn't be broadcasting the game like with our phones. That couldn't be kosher. We can broadcast ourselves. We should find a way to do something that is just like that, though. Let's let's do it. I'll fly out there. All right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I, I just this whole experiment is going to it's going to come to a head soon. I think the youth baseball stuff is fine. I like we have to get back to normal some way or another. And I think that's a reasonable like I think playing a youth baseball game is probably no different than going to a backyard barbecue at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean the experience I've had too with the parents, it's. Well, yeah, you positive. tell me you're doing, you're doing this. Why am I speculating? Tell me how no, has it been? How has it it's been? been great? I mean the first weekend. So we did um, the rules in place for the tournament were if you were in the dugout and you weren't six feet away from someone, you had to wear a mask or you were supposed to wear a mask. I did not see any kids or coaches wearing masks. Um, parents were supposed to be six feet apart in the, in the stands. I mean, for the most part, unless they came with somebody, they were spaced out a little bit, but I mean, people were dying for interaction. I mean, I, I, we had just, a, just, just touch my face. Just touch my face, yeah, please. Just take my hand. Like just hugging hands, everyone. He, he didn't strike out just hugs. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, I the granted the umpires, the umpires had gloves on, um, latex gloves on i don't know i don't know they, so we all we only used like the ball like our pitcher after the inning was over brought that ball into our dugout didn't leave it out there for the other team so i guess that was but then foul balls were being hit and our guys were going to get them so it, yeah there's no they, they put rules in place it's it's almost impossible to enforce them as a coach when you're actually trying to coach the game um but for the most part i would say 90 percent of our parents were ecstatic to be out there um they want to be out there they want to be around that you know at they're under the same um opinions that uh, i think a lot of people are where it's time to try and get back to normal even if there may be some risk involved uh but everybody would love i mean everybody thought it was great the stadium was you know the weather was great the stadium was really accommodating um the kids played you know got to be on the pro field warming up playing games I didn't, we had maybe one or two kids out of, I had eight teams playing the last two weeks. One or two kids maybe had a little bit of, you know, they wore a mask in the dugout. Um, one of them has asthma. So we made sure to like, you know, keep an eye on him, but it was normal. I, you know, I didn't have any backlash or I didn't hear any, any negative feedback from parents. Um, the guy running the tournament, Jay said everything went smooth, you know, other than trying to, uh, mandate how many people could come per player, like only two two people per player. You couldn't bring like the whole family. So, oh, really? That stinks. That's it. Was I mean, just trying to control numbers. Um, I know this this week in Illinois, we're opening up phase four, so everybody will be able to come, you know, brothers and sisters and stuff like phase that. Phase four, but, you have four phases. We're only on phase two. Phase two is yesterday. We have five phases. Phase five is like. I don't know. We don't, you can't go back to normal until we land somebody on the, on the Mars. phase, phase eight. You're allowed to tackle people again. You <laughs> yeah, can, there's just, you can French kiss your spouse. What else? Um, you can eat yogurt in public. You I can, don't know. Yeah. You Whatever you want. Out, you can go outside shirtless. Like that's phase six. Yeah. I don't even know what these phases are. I mean, yeah. And DC phase two involves, I think museums are back open restaurants, indoor capacities of 50%. So you can go back. Um, that's better gym, than our gym. phase four. 
gyms. Well, we've been good in DC. Like it's not on the rise. It's still going down. We, uh, we've been all right, but yeah. And also gyms are back open at like five people per thousand square feet, which I have a story to tell you. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I see it, please. I worked out yesterday, which is miraculous at, at a CrossFit gym. Really? Which I didn't do CrossFit. I will never do CrossFit, but I got an open gym membership to a CrossFit gym. So I went there and used their racks and their barbells and sanitized it all when I was done and was like around like four people, but you know, are you anti the concept of CrossFit or anti the, the input, like the implementation of what CrossFit has become? CrossFit does some things really well, motivates people to go off the couch Yes. Gets them lifting weights at a high intensity, which is great. They make a good sense of community, which is wonderful. They make fitness competitive and less boring, which is also wonderful. Uh, things they do poorly. Their workouts make no friggin' sense. Most of them make no sense at all. They're just not, they're just nonsensical. Here's a random bunch of exercises done uh, at a high intensity as fast as you can for time or whatever. And it just, it just doesn't make sense as far as actual programming goes. Because, you know, I've been a strength coach and you need to make sure you have a balanced musculature and things make sense for the person and for the sport, not just, hey, go do this work, this workout called Waldo and you're going to run five miles and then do 85 burpees. And, then blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they have like a set. Um, I did watch a guy do kipping, pu- kipping pull-ups yesterday and it made me want to die. <laughs> I, I, I just, just watched him. I was like, I don't, momentum I don't, wa- don't want to live on this planet. And, uh, oh yeah, it was like, he was a butter. He was like, he was a graceful butterfly and I just hated every moment <laughs> of it. Um, but, uh, I mean, especially when it comes down to athletes, CrossFit is very heavy in overhead pulling only like chin-ups, pull-ups, right. Horizontal rows aren't really a part of their thing. There's no workouts that really have rowing, which is really important for having balanced musculature and for really strengthening your back only doing rowing exercises um up top it does not lead you balance and that's why you see a lot of these crossfit dudes have very forward rolled shoulders they're very trap dominant um it's just like it's not the right thing for athletes athletes need a lot of different stuff athletes need much more variety they need rotational stuff which is not really in crossfit um they need lateral hip strengthening which is not really in crossfit crossfit is heavy on pushing overhead pulling deadlifting squatting and then doing mixes of cardio with strength stuff, which can often be really dangerous. I watched it yesterday. Uh, one of the fitness classes was doing, uh, ISO lunge holds for time. So like they're, they have like a weight in their hands and they're in the down position of a lunge with their knee off the ground. So they're just holding that tough position. Yeah. Uh, and then after that doing it for like a minute or something, they jump on the treadmill and like run as fast as they can. I'm like, I guess that's hard because your legs feel terrible, but it's also unsafe. And I'm also not sure what the point is. Like it's, it's, it's just, just because it's hard and just because it's hard is yeah. not good. Is not good training. If you want to make something hard, Hey, uh, take, take your microwave, rip it out of the, out of your wall, put it on your back and go run 40 flights of steps. That's hard. Doesn't mean it make it not, doesn't make it not stupid. Right. And that's the big thing. People think hard is good. And that's not the case. Good training is good training and good training is picking the right exercises for the person that makes them better at whatever they want to do, keeps them safe and finds the right uh, balance of risk and reward. And that's what CrossFit does not do well at all. I mean, there's stories, and they're trying to outdo themselves in the CrossFit games. 
I saw this horrific photo of, because every year they're trying to, again, like outdo themselves. So like, oh, whatever we did last year, we had to do something crazier. There was a right. photo of this horrific, this woman's palm, her entire palm, all the skin on her palm had peeled off. Like she got yeah. a blister on her whole palm. I've never even seen or heard about that before, but she had to do so many chin-ups. So are so many of those kipping pull-ups out in the, in the brutal sun and your skin's already dry, you know, from like all the chalk that they use. Um, but she had to do so many of those in the, in the brutal heat that her entire palm peeled off, which is just unbelievable. Like you would, you would get sued so fast doing that to any person training. And then why does that have to be what the champion of fitness is like program that stuff better? I mean, you can have the CrossFit games, but it doesn't need to like needlessly injure people. That's just ridiculous stuff. And people get passed out. People die from, you know, like people have died from those workouts and others. It's just, it's, it's, it can get really, really out of hand. And it's, uh, I don't know. I think the best places seem to do hybrid workouts where they're not only doing CrossFit. They're doing sort of like CrossFit style. Like I said, like the competitive circuit training, hard, and, circuit yeah. training with a more balanced approach. And that is much more sensible. Yeah. But anyway, I worked out at a CrossFit Great. place. That Great. was the story. Great. I'm jealous. I'm very jealous of you. Well, I canceled the y I canceled the YMCA. It was just like not, not the move. So here we I are. heard the the YMCA over by me is closing. I don't know. I've never heard of a YMCA closing, but it's closing. They have bills to pay, unfortunately. I mean, they 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 urged me like, "Hey, we'd really rather you not. Can you please?" I'm like, "No." Like, right. I I I appreciate what you do for the community, but I'm not just going to pay you 100 bucks a month. Like, Which I is just, absurd I'm not, for a YMCA. This one is super nice. It's brand new. It's like, it's as nice as any other gym, but, um, I'm just not going to pay for a gym. I'm not going to use uh, whether it's right. one that one that does has a civic purpose or not. I'm just, I just don't want to do it anymore. So I'm curious to see when gyms open in, in a Chicago, how many just do not reopen or can't reopen or, I mean, you obviously you don't know yet because they're not just closing businesses that aren't allowed to open anyways, but I got to imagine like we've got big chains of gyms. Export is a big chain. Um, uh, Planet Fitness is big out here. I'm curious to see how many of those just do not reopen. Well, Anytime Fitness or no, maybe it was 24-7 Fitness or one of those two. Uh, they closed their chain or declared bankruptcy. So I don't, I don't know if it was Anytime Fitness or maybe it was like it was one of those all night cheap. Right. You can have a key to get in kind of places. One of them just announced bankers, one of the bigger ones. So sad. Yeah, it's a tough market. Gyms are tough markets in general. Just well, the capacity thing, and this is the thing with restaurants. I mean, restaurants have such slim margins that they're not designed to operate below like I, I, I want to say it was like eighty percent capacity or eighty-five percent. Like they have to be above eighty percent to to make a pro any kind of profit. Right. And eighty percent is like their breaking points. But now they're forced to be at fifty percent. So it's like, uh, how's that work? Um, there was a good podcast, uh, which I highly recommend called how I built this by it's an NPR podcast. Guy Raz is the host and he just has entrepreneurs and which is like what all podcasts are like, you know, but, uh, I was listening to Danny Meyer, who's the founder of Shake Shack and a couple other restaurants like Gramercy Tavern in New York and, um, one other. 
And he was just talking about the restaurant industry and just, and that was his point. I think, I think I got that statistic almost right, but it's something like 80%, they've got to be at 80% capacity just to be breaking even. And now they're asked to be at 50%. So ugh, after two months of being at 0%. I tried to, I tried to go tough. to dinner yesterday um, with my college coach, with my old college coach. And we had reservations at a steakhouse at an outdoor seating. And around five o'clock in Chicago time, just start pouring rain. And it didn't even occur to me that like they call and cancel our reservation. It didn't even occur to me that if it rains, it's like, it's almost like being, being a professional baseball player now running a restaurant, you're at the mercy of the weather. Like if it rains, you can't, you, you what do you do? Like you, you can't, you start later. Like you, you start the game later, you cancel those reservations and push them later. Cause it's all outdoor yeah. seating in Chicago. You can't sit inside right now. You just can't restaurants cannot have indoor seating. If they do, they have to have open air. So like all the windows have to be open up like garage door style. So mm-hmm. it was funny. Like I felt like I was just in a rain delay trying to eat dinner <laughs> last night. Brought me back. Yeah. It, it rained a bunch here this weekend and my brother and I went and just found a place to sit and, and get a drink. And it took a while because a lot of places have outdoor seating to your point, but not as many have umbrellas and all that stuff to keep you dry when it's raining, which is, which is the the worst. Like if it rains on the weekend right now, it's like the worst because you can't yeah. go inside anywhere. Nothing. You just have to stay home. It sucks. <laughs> it's so sad. But now the museums are open. <laughs> Taking the power you, back. Can you drink at museums? Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I know some of them have like a, one of them has a courtyard, a really nice courtyard where you can like get a, a meal and like wine or whatever, but wine's um, good. I all mean, the, the thing DC does so well is all their outdoor park space, just an enormous amount of shady park space. And then so many free museums. So you have like indoor and outdoor options galore, but previously it was only outdoor, obviously. So if it rains tough, tough luck, but now the museums are back. Go see the Tyrannosaurus Rex at the Natural History Place or something. I don't know. But is it Sioux? No, is that that's Chicago Field Museum? Sioux, the T Rex, the big yeah, T Rex. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not rushing back to museums either or anyway, but I'm not really rushing back to anywhere. I'm antisocial, but um, <laughs> museums are a nice reprieve, especially if you just like need to go in and be in the air conditioning for a minute and use the bathroom. He that's the hardest thing. That's that's the hardest thing about this whole thing. If you're like doing the thing and like being outside for the whole day, it's really hard to find a place to go to the bathroom. It's impossible. Super hard. It's, it's hilarious you say that. It was hard to was, it was hard to do before. Right. I've remarked There's, about this in previous. Sorry, go ahead. It, no, I was gonna say I was at a gas station yesterday and I'm inside paying and a woman comes in like looked like she needed to use the bathroom. Rather, rather urgently she was that's, that's crossing that's her legs like a, like a child that's the impression i got from her and the guy he's like no he's like we can't it's out of order and i think he was just saying out of order i'm sure it was he uses it but mm. she was she just looked like defeated like she had tried everywhere else because where do you go i don't even know where you would go honestly like if you're not at home and it's a real pro- it's it really is a real problem yeah when you i have I, to plan you do. Well, and it's, it's not as easy as people think because in my previous life, when I would be just like wandering around a city all day, it's still not super easy. Like you ba- generally have to pay for the bathroom. Like Starbucks are the best ones because they'll let you use theirs no matter what. But most other places, 
it's not like super easy just to dip in and go to the bathroom. It's not like Europe where you pay two bucks to use the bathroom anywhere you go. Like it's almost, it's almost more convenient in Europe because they'll just, all right, you just pay. Like here's a buck. Here's one euro and you get to use the bathroom. Like That's a public reasonable. bathroom. Or you just got to find a McDonald's and sneak in the back and use the bathroom and get out. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so life is coming back. That's the, that's the important thing. We can go outside, we can go indoors, we can use the restroom life as we used to know it has started. I'm going to start an app, public restroom app. Find your, find the most the cleanly, you can raid your public restroom. You know, if you're anywhere in a city, pull it up. This is where you can use the restroom for free. I feel like it would be convenient. No. Nah, I don't know how you're gonna how you're gonna monetize that, but I'm sure there's a way. Just collect data, <laughs> tracking people. Just me tracking everybody. Exactly. Well, Bobby, who do we have on the show the rest of the week? Do we have a guest on Friday? Um, we have a guest on Friday, but it's not confirmed, so I'm not gonna give you a name. Mm. Um, but we do have. We've got things in the in the hopper. We've got. We do pitching talk. Um, currently, who's committed? Currently, Zach Clark. Liam Bowen. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a pitching talk. Zach Clark, Ray Scout was on the show earlier this year. Liam Bowen, UMBC head coach, also on the show. Ryan Copeland, University of Illinois Springfield, a super smart pitching guy. Uh, they're all going to be in it. Maybe another. Maybe we'll have a little all-star squad. We'll probably just moderate. But that's going to be fun. That's in the works. Also, the cage match between Jeff and, and Richard, I suppose. Um, we do have a couple other uh, people that I haven't pinged yet. I still want to have Alan Nathan on the show. Um, I'll, we'll eventually get around to him. Uh, and then some of the people who are back in Major League Baseball, we probably missed our window. But, you know, so be it. Tim Murray, work. We'll, be, we'll be taping a show with Tim Murray. Um, he, was, he was a co-broadcaster with Adam Pohl. We just had on a recent episode, but now he works for uh, Westwood One. He's out in D.C. I, think, I believe he hosts what's called the Daily Line. Um, sports gambling show every morning. Um, um, I want to say it's FS1, but I could be wrong about that. NBC Sports Radio, maybe. Okay. We'll, okay. we'll we'll get that more. You're detail. usually wrong, so that sounds, sounds that right. sounds right. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for being here. This was the morning brushback. I'm Dan Blewett. You're Bobby Stevens. I am. <laughs> what a what a sign up. Oh, but one last thing before we go. If you're actually listening, leave us a review on iTunes. It's mandatory. Thank you Please. for your consideration. No, it's Something. mandatory. Thank you for your consideration. Goodbye.